Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. Got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. We're being joined by Jack Dom, who is the head coach at Mount Mercy University, an NAIA school in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He's a guy with a really great background, a very interesting background, and I'll give you that background now before we jump into questions with him. He played collegiately at Creighton University in Omaha. He was there, uh, graduated in 1989. From 1990 until 1993, he was an assistant coach at Creighton. Uh, which is obviously a Division One school. And in 1991, while he was there, the team actually qualified for the College World Series, which is in Omaha. The hometown team got to Omaha. Very, very cool situation there. They finished third nationally, and uh, we're definitely going to have to talk about that throughout this podcast. Then in 1993, he was hired to be the head coach at Creighton. He was the head coach at Creighton until 2003, at which time he was hired at the University of Iowa. He was the head coach at the University of Iowa from the spring of 04 until 2013. And then in June 2014, he was hired to be the head coach at Mount Mercy University, where he has been since in Iowa. Um, he's also worked uh, three years as an analyst on the Big Ten Network. Just a guy with a really cool background, done a lot of things, been a lot of places, had a ton of success. Uh, really excited about this one. Coach Dom, I want to thank you for being here with us today. Thanks a lot, Jeff. It's a, a great opportunity to be with you. And Of course, I met you back in the day when I was at Iowa and you came and worked some of our camps. And um, It's a great honor and um, love what you're doing with your podcast and helping people out, helping coaches out and, and everything else. So it's an honor to be on, on with you today. I appreciate that very much. Uh, it means a lot to be able to help people, which I know you, you and I talked before we started recording. As you move along with your career, the older you get, the more it becomes about helping other people. And, and that's a big thing about what we want to do. So for that purpose, I appreciate you being here and uh, your willingness to kind of share some things that you've been through. Um, I'd oh, like to... with your players there at Mount Mercy if that is your goal and and it and it's more it's it's bigger than winning it's about you know helping these young men to to become better people to be prepared when they leave college when they when they graduate to go on with their lives and get a career and be you know good fathers good husbands how, how do you go about doing that like what's the what is the actual process because that's talked about a lot now i mean, i think i think a lot of people talk about um just that it's baseball's bigger than baseball. College baseball's bigger than just winning. It's about, you know, helping these young men to be better young men. What does that mean as a as a coaching as a as the head coach and as a coaching staff, you know, day to day, week to week, year to year? Uh what are some ways that you kind of kind of track how you're doing there, track your progress or things that you intentionally do as a coaching staff to help your players uh to to mature and become better people while they're there? You know what? I, I think that's a, a great question, and, and really one of the things you, you hear a lot of people talk about core values, um, what the program is going to stand for. And I don't care if it's a baseball program or, or a company; everybody's got to have their their core values. And um, I'm a big believer in that. And I've kind of changed it a, a little bit, where I don't necessarily have my pillars um, of success. You know, selflessness, loyalty. You know. Um, I had a very interesting situation. A good friend of mine, um, son was 14 years old and, and got cancer. 
cancer. Um, he was a great athlete, good friend of, of my kids, uh, and he was he was a tremendous athlete. And his dad always coached the team teams he was part of. Um, and back then, I don't know if you remember this when Oregon uh, had the phrase "win the day." Um, and, and the young boy's name was Flash. He could really run, so his nickname was Flash. Flash believed in win the day, and and so his dad every day would write that in the, on a clipboard and hang it in the in the dugout or on the football field or basketball court, and you know. And they talked about this, and, and I'm not going to get into it too much, but it, win the day went from something for athletics, you know, to a way of life when he when the young fellow when Flash got cancer. Um, and so he talks about that. He comes and talks to our team every year. And, and basically what it, he simplified it, and it was about win the day, number one, attitude, number two, effort, number three, shake and bake. Um, and, of course, shake and bake um, is, is a, the line from uh, Talladega Nights, and what shake and bake means is fun. And when I said shake and bake, I guarantee your face, you smile. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing you know, over here, so yep. Attitude, effort, shake and bake, in parentheses, fun. And that's what we talk about every day in our program. Um, you know, what does that look like? What does it look like on the baseball field? What does it look like academically? What does it look like in public? Um, you know, and, and decisions off the field. So we just talk about win the day and shake and bake. And, and you know, it goes from attitude. Attitude's number one below win the day because your attitude is going to control your effort along with having fun. Um, so I actually have that all over my, my offices. Our, we've got a great player lounge here. We've got it in our dugout. And, uh, you know, it's really about winning the day. If you think about it, it's pretty simple. Um, make good decisions, do everything the best you can. And, and if you win the day, you've had a successful day. For young kids, you know, teen, you got teenagers coming into your program. Um, you know, winning the day, making good decisions throughout the day. I'm sure there are a lot of times when they feel like they're not living up. They're not, uh, you know, they're not doing what they're supposed to do all the time. And and maybe some some players feel like they're letting you down or letting the team down or or whatever because they're they're just, they're being teenagers. They're just they're going to make bad decisions from time to time. Whether it's staying up too late or going out on a night they shouldn't have gone out or or whatever it may be. And now because of COVID. I'm sure teams are going to experience this spring. Uh, we're about to get into the spring of 2021 season. I'm sure there are going to be times when a bunch of guys on on any particular team around the country are going to have to quarantine because one guy made a bad decision. And you know how you deal with that stuff is a is a big part of it too. So, coach, when you are you know you're dealing with your players and you're sort of setting these expectations, how do you deal with guys? Who who don't live up to expectations? Are are there conversations to try to get them back on track? Do you have points where like it's just it's too much with this one player? We're gonna have to cut them loose. Just kind of curious how you how you handle it um, when when players, um, I guess, are having a hard time with the expectations that you're setting. Yeah, well, um, that's a great question. That's one of the fun things about being at the NAI school right now. Um, is I feel like I can give kids more opportunities than when I was at the University of Iowa or, or Creighton University. Um, you know, because there's a lot of kids that they come here, they've been at two or three different schools because they always think the grass is greener on the other side or they made bad decisions. Um, you know, and the, the neat thing is I've had a lot of kids that were at like three schools before they came here and they end up staying here and graduating. And I think that's my number one goal is I want these kids to graduate. So, you know, I've had some kids that, that, I've got gray hair now 
that probably caused some, some gray hair. But I'll tell you what, I think it's the neatest thing when those kids, when they finally figure it out, and you give them a lot of opportunities, and ultimately uh, they graduate and they go out and, and have a lot of success. So, um, you know, one other thing that we do talk about, and I, I had this at the University of Iowa, and I stole it from Skip Bertman. Um, I have a, when I was at, at the University of Iowa, I gave every player a crystal baseball. Um, and that was kind of our team rules. And, and what we told them, that was the, the ball of, of trust. What we told them is every decision that you make is in this crystal baseball. And if it's, you know, drinking and driving or going out when you should study for a test or the way you treat a young lady, uh, or the way you treat your parents or a coach, you, you can't drop the ball. If you drop a crystal baseball, that ball might break. You know, it doesn't every time. That doesn't mean it was the right decision that you made. But I always told the guys, even though it was a negative comment, I always say, hey, we can't drop the ball. Um, when I was a young head coach at 25 years of age, you know, I thought I had to have every rule written down. And, and all of a sudden, my, my list of rules kept getting bigger and bigger. Well, I'm, I'm about trust now. I'm about loyalty and, and making good decisions. Um, and when you make a bad decision, we're going to talk about it as a team, and hopefully they're not going to make that bad decision again. And, um, you know, so it's been fun. Um, you just try to teach kids. You know, I've got some kids from the inner city that they come in here and, and they've had to fight for everything that they've gotten. So they don't realize it, but they end up becoming selfish on the baseball field. And I'm all about team. I'm all about selflessness, and it's all about helping the team win. And but you got to understand, some of these kids came from a different, you know, when they came up, they had to fight for everything that they had. Um, and they didn't realize they were being selfish. So, um, you know, the fun thing is, is finally when your teammates step up, um, you know, the teammates end up stepping up and uh, um, really helping the, a player out and saying, hey, you are you are being selfish. You're, you're being negative to the team where, all of a sudden, the team really grows and bonds because they're very honest. They're, they become a good teammate instead of a good friend. A good teammate's going to call somebody out for being selfish. And I can do everything I can as a coach, but when you get your players in the culture that they help that young fella, that's really fun to watch. The, the teammate compared to good teammate compared to a good friend dynamic is something that I really enjoy talking about, and I think that um, there are a lot of coaches and players who don't always necessarily understand what that means and the way you just explained it is a super really simple way to explain it i i coached high school baseball for one season after i uh left college ball and and in pennsylvania here i I tried to try it out for a year and that was one of the things i tried to tell my players because in high school especially like you've known these kids you know the guys on your team since you were a kid a lot of times like not everybody in the team, but a lot of them. You've, you've grown up. You played little league with them, and you've and you've you played JV baseball, and now you're on the varsity team together, and and you, especially the pressures that high school players feel just just being that age and, and being in high school, it's very difficult to cross that line where you're being a good teammate rather than a good friend and doing things that that a friend maybe wouldn't do or say, but as a teammate, you've got to do it. You've got to say it. Um, and that's such an important part about of growing. When do you see that happen at the college level? Is that something that is coached? Is that something that you think happens as players mature? Or is that something that you think only happens with certain teams? Like it, the team's got to have the right makeup where guys are willing to kind of be that good that good teammate 
um, and other teams where maybe, where maybe they're not. Uh, how, how much does, does the do the coaches influence that happening? And at what point do you see that happening, coach, in college? You know, that's a that's a great question, and I think each year is a little bit different, to be honest with you. Um, you know, internal leadership is is a great thing when you got kids that buy into what the coaches are talking about. Um, that's the the trust, that's the loyalty, which are two key words in having a successful organization. So. Um, I think certain times it's harder. And you talked about how you were in a junior college program. I think sometimes when the roster turns over so much, sometimes it's harder, harder to do. Um, I think as I've gotten older and, you know, when I got to Mount Mercy, it was actually a little bit easier than I thought because where I was previously, there was a, uh, automatic respect because I was a D1 coach and we were able to turn the, turn the attitude and the, and the culture around pretty quick, but you still have people that fight it, and um, you know that's when those players are, are such a big key. You know, one of the things I also talk about a little bit, Jeff, is, is uh, uh, a board of directors, and this is what guys have to understand. I've got guys in this program who, who don't drink. I've got guys that drink. I've got guys that have had trouble off the field, and it's easy to point and be critical of other people saying, well, he went out last night, he was drinking, and uh, he wasn't, or he was in the library, he's a better kid because he's studying, he's a 4.0. Well, to me, I, I'm a big believer, um, and everybody's got special qualities. And I don't care if uh, if it's a guy that doesn't do well academically, but he, might, he has a special quality that I can learn from. And that's why I don't be critical of others, just because they have a different agenda. Hopefully we all want the same thing when we get on the on the baseball field, and that's to win a championship and, and do things the right way. And so it's something that can kind of grow, and, and I want people to know that somebody's not bad because they they drink. They might have came from a background where their parents, that's all they were around. And, and what we want to teach kids is how to be, uh, you know, respectful, how, how to trust each other. And he's not bad because maybe – he does this or, or vice versa. So you just try to build that culture um, of respect. And uh, I'm, I'm a big believer you got to earn respect. You know, uh, I've seen programs where all of a sudden the seniors, uh, they try to make these kids have to do stuff as freshmen because they're older and they think they should be respected. I tell, I tell our seniors, show respect to the younger guys and they'll respect you back. And um, so I think that's where it starts, not – not hazing kids and not making them do certain things just because they're younger. I think if you show them respect, they will respect you, respect you back. I think that's something that definitely helps. But each year is a little bit different. I wish I could, I, I could say that the team chemistry is great every year, but you know, every year you have some conflicts, and then that's why you don't win close ball games sometimes, just because they're not, they're not fighting together. But uh, uh, every year is different, in my opinion. Do you believe that players? Need to. So you've talked about respecting each other and uh, and how important it is for the upperclassmen to show respect to the underclassmen, and then they'll get it back. Um, how important is it, in your opinion, for a team to be successful on the field? How important is it that they like each other off the field? Is is that is that important? Because I think that's another thing with 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 culture being such a buzzword, a buzz term that gets thrown around so much now. And uh, it just—it's funny to me. I, you know, I'm not—I'm not that old. I'm 36, but it's—it's it's almost like you go through—you have these different trends in baseball where, like, 
everyone thinks this is important and everyone thinks this is important and right now it's all about culture it's all everybody's about culture and, and family atmosphere and, and and all this and i think that there's a lot to that but i also think that there are some misnomers but but in your you know that's why i like talking to coaches like you who've got a, a ton more experience than me and and a lot more experience than most people in your experience how important is it that a team likes each other off the field uh, if they're going to have success on the field, or do you think those two things are totally unrelated? Can a team respect each other? Can, can teammates respect each other on the field and play together well, and then go off the field and just not really care to to spend much time with each other? Are those things related at all, or are they totally unrelated? Well, I think if if you get along off the field, I think it helps on the field. Um, but I still believe it's more about that respect factor, um, especially now. I've got a JV program. We've got about seventy kids in in the in the program so uh everybody and and during covid you can't quite build that team chemistry because we're all pods and we can't get covid and so that's that's a whole different subject talking about about covid but i think you can still win if you have the respect they might not get along off the field but if they respect they're all trying to fight and do the same thing uh together that ultimate goal i think you can do it but it's much easier if they get along off the field, um, I think you look back at the, the old Billy Martin days and the Bronze Bombers, and you know the internal stuff that happened there. But yet the Yankees were just—they wanted to win, you know. And I think if you get those real competitive guys, um, you know, another term and, and I use with my assistants sometimes is you can't have all milk drinkers. Sometimes you got to have whiskey drinkers in there with those milk drinkers. So sometimes it causes a little bit of uh, stuff off the field, but you know, you need to have those guys that are going to get dirty and, and be gritty on the field and teach those, those guys that, hey, we got to get a little tougher at times. Don't accept losing and call each other out. And, and sometimes it creates uh, not the best friendships, but ultimately, if there's a respect, I think you can still win. I think it's easier if you, your teams get along, but it's not absolutely mandatory to, to do it that way. I love that. Now, how much how much team building do you guys do? Do you spend a lot of time as a as a team with um, team building functions? Whether it's uh, like I've seen teams that have sort of uh, have done like physical type challenges. That was a thing. You know, when I first started coaching, you go to the convention and and some of the mental strength guys were talking about like team like actual physical activities to to kind of bring teams together things like that and other other teams that will have guys go uh kind of kind of have meetings in the off season where you know players are encouraged to to tell some things some personal things about themselves to their teammates you know some coaches believe in that stuff some don't and i don't know if this is maybe this has changed throughout the years for you but where do you stand right now you know do your teams do a lot of team building and, and family atmosphere type of activities or is that something is that something that you just think that is either naturally going to happen or, or it's not because these guys are still around each other all the time between classes where they live you know what they're doing off the field and obviously all the time they're spending on the field together um what, what's your what's your take how much do you guys do at mount mercy with the in the team building atmosphere uh realm and, and is that has that changed for you over the years yeah I'm, I'm a i'm a big believer in that i think uh you know throughout the years i, I was fortunate enough to get to know brian kane real well um, Brian came and he's one of the top, uh, you know, peak performance guys in the, in the country. And, and Brian came and we got really into it quite a bit when I was at Iowa. Um, I think there's, you know, the kids. 
kids I have at, at Mount Mercy are a little bit different than the ones I had at Iowa and, and Creighton because every one of those players at the D1 level thinks they're going to go out and play professional baseball and they think they should be playing and this and that. So I did a, I did quite a bit of, of team building. Uh, and we did the Omaha Challenge, you know. Um, that was something that we did at Iowa, uh, which was fun, created competitiveness. Um, and then we, we would sit there and talk sometimes. And I think one of the biggest things, that, especially with kids that want to be professional baseball players, is sometimes it becomes a job, you know. And, and I just talked about flash um, and win the day. Uh, it, and what I want our guys to, to realize, we get to play baseball. We get to go to practice. We don't have to. And so I'm a big believer in that, and I talk about that, and I do some team building here. Uh, now, this year I wasn't able to do it because of COVID, you know. So, and, and my team building really starts with, with the Flash's parents coming here to speak and, and talking about winning the day and what that looks like. Um, and try to put some things in perspective. That's the biggest thing I think that coaches want, especially older coaches, um, is they want their kids to realize you get the opportunity and you're, you're fortunate to be representing Mount Mercy University, the University of Iowa, uh, the high school team, or Creighton University. And um, so I don't do as much team-building stuff, but I really talk about that on a, on a regular basis. And uh, I think it's very good, and I think each team's a little bit different. Um, you know, last year, I have a veteran team this year. I have guys that were took a semester off to come back to, to help us. We've got a chance to have a, a, a special, special team this year. And so I've got a bunch of veterans. I'm trying to stay out of their way. Now, i got a lot of young guys, too, that we're trying to spend a little bit of time with. But uh, i I got to stay out of the way of my older guys here. That's, that's what we're talking about as coaches right now. So we're not doing as much team building. Uh, we just got to keep them focused every day in practice. That's, that's the biggest thing, and, and keep them out of trouble off the field since they're older. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, team building is very important, but I think each each team is a little bit different. And um, with COVID this year, you know, we haven't been able to do it. I actually just got done uh, putting together a big uh, player lounge and actually a meeting area that we're going to call the Idaho Room like everybody D1 schools call it the Omaha room, but we've got the Idaho room where we've got a big whiteboard and we can have classroom sessions and we haven't been able to use it though because of COVID. But at some point next year when I'm a very young team, we will do a little more of that team building stuff. But right now I got to stay out of my, my team. They're, they're hungry. They, they've given up a lot to come back and, and try to win. So this year I got to stay out of their way. Um, next year I'll have to do a lot of that team building. I like that you are able to have a feel for the team, and I'm sure that's something that comes with experience, comes with years of coaching. But that you've got, you're basically doing what you're doing based on feel and what your team needs. And in the older, you know, an older team doesn't need it as much, but a team with a bunch of younger guys, uh, they definitely do. Let's talk about NAIA baseball a little bit for people that maybe aren't that familiar. Um, you spent a long, long time at Division One as a player, as a coach, as an assistant, as a head coach, and, and now you're at the NAI level. Let's make a – if we were to make a pros and cons list you know, of NAI, we can stay away from the cons, but let's go in the pro side. What, what are some pros of NAI, some things that you like, some things that maybe favor players more at that level than some other than other levels, and maybe the Division One or even you know, Division Two, II, Division Three. What what good things are there that the NAI has got right? You know, what are they doing right there that you think people should be aware of to just to know more about the level? But you know what? First of all, it's, there are some 
really, really, really good baseball teams here. Uh, you know, at the NAI level, and a lot of D1 guys that maybe it didn't work out uh, at their school, so they bounce back and they they're eligible to play right away at the at the NAI level. Now, some of the rule changes where people are going to be able to transfer again within Division One might hurt us a little bit, but uh, but there's really good baseball, um, some good coaches. Uh, you know, and it's been fun. It's it's baseball. Uh, my first games as a head coach here, we went down to Southeastern uh, in Florida, and, and they've won national championships here the last couple of years, and we weren't very good at all, and, and we almost won our, our first game there. Unfortunately, I had a catcher in left field in the last out. He, he dropped it. We had the Blues in the next year innings, but that was a big eye-opener for me because I, I told my guys that, that next day I'd been out of baseball for a year, and I said, fellas, it doesn't matter if you're playing Arizona State, Wichita State, um, Notre Dame, Florida State, or if it's Southeastern or the teams in our league. Baseball is baseball, and my competitive juices got going, and, and that was an eye-opener for me. It's uh, it's still about going out and being able to compete, and that's the opportunity that the NAI gives you. Um, as I said, there's some really good baseball coaches. There's a lot of young coaches who are trying to make a name for themselves. Uh, it reminds me of you know, when I was at, at Creighton, now, I was fortunate. I got a very, very good job. My first job, maybe not deserving, um, but I got it. Uh, I tried to make the most of it. Um, and there's some coaches here that are, are, are ultra, uber competitive. Um, you know, so sometimes I, I laugh a little bit because I think they get, get in their own way instead of helping their team, you know. So, uh, but it's been fun baseball. Um, talent level's good. Uh, we've built this thing here at Mount Mercy. We've got, Better facilities here at Mount Mercy. We got brand new all-turf facility. We got indoor facility. Um, we've got the, the players' lounge, study hall area. It's amazing what I have here, and um, I've got, better, as I said, better facilities here than when I was at Creighton or, or University of Iowa. And I have an administrator, uh, administrator that is absolutely tremendous and, and lets us do our thing. So, NAI baseball is very good. Now, I will tell you, I mentioned this before we got going. I feel like I'm going back in time where all of a sudden it was so hard as a, as a northern program at, at the NCAA level to make the regionals. And if you had a bad week at the Division One level as a northern program, you weren't going to get that large berth. And I feel like I've stepped back in time. You look at NCAA baseball, and the biggest change now has been the RPI, where northern schools, when you go down south, you get more points for wins on the road than you do if you're at home. Um, you know, also I'm back in time here where it's pretty hard as a northern school to get in that large berth because we got to go down south and play all these southern schools. And, and you know, if you beat them, you go one and two, it, it doesn't help you that much compared to like at the at the division one level. So there's some things I, as I'm getting to know the, the, the uh, NAI level, I think there's some things that maybe I can help northern schools with if people listen although the south has has the advantage um where you know they actually have preseason rankings are very important heck i don't even know who's on my my team when they ask me what my starting lineup is going to be and where we should be ranked preseason rankings shouldn't matter at all but it does at the nai level so there's some interesting things here and the support from uh from certain schools the different rules um how you count scholarships this and that it's it's a little bit different here so maybe more obstacles to, to try to make that big jump uh, at the NAI level than it was even at the NCAA level. As far as scholarships go, 
you said that it's uh, you know guys can transfer directly from NCAA Division One teams and be eligible to play for you. But what about uh, like our roster limits, scholarships? Are those similar to other NCAA levels, or are those different as well? You know, it is different. We get twelve. Basically, you can have twelve full rides here um, at the NAI level. But there's there's a couple interesting rules in there. Um, basically, it's any money that uh, that the uh, university gets to you. So some people are, are all athletic money that kids get. We're a, we have a combination of baseball money, which I, I get so much money per person that comes in, and then also academic money. So whatever they get between the academic money and the baseball money will count against that 12 scholarships. Now, that's only if you play in, on the varsity team. So we have Everybody here has some sort of money academically and, and baseball-wise, um, but I can only have, ultimately, playing in the spring, only up to 12 scholarships, which is interesting because if you're a high GPA, if you're over, I want to say, a 3.8 or 3.9, now they don't count their scholarship against your 12. Uh, they also have, if you're over a 3.4 or 3.5, I think it is, and only half of your scholarship counts. So you get rewarded also if you get some really smart kids, which, you know, I've got about, I had nine kids with 4.0s first semester, uh, and I'm really proud of that. So now I can have my roster be a little bit bigger, especially with COVID, uh, because of that. So there are a lot of, I'm still learning the rules here, to be honest with you. Uh, everyone says there's not, NAI doesn't have any rules. Oh, we got plenty of rules, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm still, still trying to learn them. Coach, I want to go back to the beginning of your career. You played it at Creighton. Uh, you coached at Creighton in only your second spring, if I'm not mistaken. Your second spring coaching at Creighton, the team makes it to the College World Series. Um, can you take us back to that time and just tell us exactly, just you know, what that was like? What that was like for a mid-major Division One team to not only make it to the College World Series, but to finish third, and the fact that. Creighton's located in Omaha. The College World Series is in Omaha. You know, your hometown team playing for it all. Uh, can you just kind of take us back to that time and tell us what that was like, especially as a guy two years removed from playing? Well, I'll tell you what, I just got goosebumps when you talked about when I started thinking about that time. It was a very special, special time. And I'll tell you what, it's amazing how close that team still is. Um, all the people that play for Jim Hendry. Now, for people that don't know, Jim Hendry was the head coach at Creighton, and then ultimately was the general manager of the Chicago Cubs, and he left after we went to the World Series. Dave Dombrowski hired him with the Florida Marlins, um, and ultimately, like I said, was was a GM of the Cubs, and now a special assistant to the GM for the Yankees. But uh, Jim Hendry sat in my um, in my living room, and I remember him telling me that we're going to play in the College World Series at some point. And he said, "You might not be on the team at that point, but you're going to be the foundation." of what of us making it to Omaha. And I remember him sitting there telling me that. And then uh, as I played, my recruiting class, we had a great class. We ranked about fifth in the country, I think. We had Scott Service, who was my roommate in college, who was now the manager of the Seattle Mariners. Um, you know, we had some, some special players uh, in that group. But it was a process that we went through. And um, so I saw us, my... My junior year, we had a team that we thought qualified for the regionals, and we got we were beating Wichita State in the conference championship game, and it rained, and they declared Wichita State the champion, 
and then we didn't get that large berth to the NCAA, which we had just beaten Missouri. Uh, we had a better record than them, and they took Missouri instead of us. That was a little eye-opening to us, and, and, and it really hurt. But it probably motive, it might have been the best thing to, to jumpstart our program. And then ultimately in 1990, uh, we came up a little short at, uh, at Texas. We were in the regional, uh, but that motivated us. We got a couple breaks, a couple kids came back, and in 1991, our SID put on the, on the press guy that said to play in June, and that's when the World Series was the first week of June, and, and ultimately it came true. That changed college baseball, Jeff. Um, people don't realize we had, I mean, people were lined up the night before uh, for the World Series just to get to the games, and, and we had a couple of classics with Wichita State, who happened to be a Missouri Valley Conference team also. And, and they went from... Nobody could get a ticket for the World Series, and um, Omaha was a buzz. And ultimately, I believe it changed um, it changed college baseball because also Omaha sold out season tickets, which allowed them to expand Rosenblatt Stadium. And um, you know, it's awesome. We every five years we go back and and we're at the World Series, and they introduce us, and the, you know, it's it's a special time. Uh, you know, I'm in the great Hall of Fame because of that 1991 College World Series, and uh, it changed college baseball. And you know, Jim Hendry's still best friend. He sends me dirty jokes all the time, and we play golf, and um, it, it's just a lot of fun and a special group of guys. And it definitely changed college baseball. There might not be a Meritrade Stadium right now if it wasn't for Creighton and the buzz that year in '91 and expansion of Rosenblatt and, and everybody buying those season tickets. That is so cool. And for anybody who has not been to the College World Series, it is a, it's an experience that you can't match. I, I got lucky. So when I was coaching with Justin Schulte out there in Iowa, um, one of the other assistant coaches, new guys in it that worked for Baseball Factory, which is um, you know a company that puts on showcases and things of that nature. And they run, well, at least at the time, they ran a camp every year at Iowa Western, which is right across the Iowa border from Omaha. And part of the thing with the camp is that players and coaches got to go to College World Series games. I had never been to a College World Series game, but because this other coach, I would go and work these baseball factory tournaments or the baseball factory camps and uh, got to go to my first College World Series games. Unbelievable experience. The only thing... The only games I've ever been to that are close to that type of atmosphere was I got to go to uh, when the Pittsburgh Pirates got the couple years in their franchise history when they went to the or recently when they went to the playoffs I got to go see one of their um, one of their playoff games against the Cubs a wild card game that was the only thing I ever been to that's comparable to this it was an unbelievable atmosphere uh, it's something that if you haven't done it you really need to go just experience what Omaha is really like especially like in the early I'm sure that the I never was there for the the championship, but there in the early rounds, like you just have, you have people from all these teams, fans of all these teams around, and just an incredible amount of people around. I remember standing outside, like in these lines that are hundreds of people deep, trying to get in the stadium. It was just, it was really, really cool. You know, I, I still go back every year, Jeff, with uh, um, some of our supporters of, of Mount Mercy, and I've got so many good friends back there. Of course, that service, the head coach there was was my assistant. Uh, he's done a fantastic job there. But uh, I got a great World Series story. Uh, I'll try to make it quick, but, uh, you know, I was in charge on the College World Series Board of Directors as a young head coach, and I got an opportunity to meet all the head coaches that came in. I set up their practices, and uh, they'd 
call me for where should we go eat, this, that. So Augie Garrido was still at Cal State Fullerton at the time. It's actually, I don't know if you remember the name, Mark Kotze was a player of the year. And oh, yeah. A great baseball player at this team. And they were picked to win if they were the number one seed coming in. And they, they barely won their first game. Um, they really struggled. Uh, it was a fight. Um, and, and I got done and uh, I'm on the field and Augie comes up to me and he goes, man, that wasn't, that wasn't good. And um, this is where a lot of some of my beliefs, even talking about win the day, comes from. But uh, Augie looked at me. He goes, "Hey, where can I take my team to go watch youth, a youth baseball game?" And as you know, Omaha is crazy. Where there's all the tournaments, there's the showcases going on. And so I said, "Hey, here's a park. There's a game here at this time." So the day at, so he he on his on the way to the ballpark. That's when TVs were first put into. Uh, um, in the buses, it was more a TV that was strapped in. But he put the uh, uh, some of the, the game uh, the day before of them playing in the first round game, and then they they pulled up to the park and he turned it off and he goes, "Okay, we're gonna go out here for 15 minutes." Now, can you imagine these young 10, 11 year old kids with a Austin? Here comes Cal State Fullerton, and, um, and they go out and for 15 minutes they watched the youth game. Um, they went back into the bus. And Augie said, why are we here? What did you see? And one of the players said, they're having fun. And Augie said, exactly. You guys played, if you watch this tape, you guys played up tight. You didn't play to win. You weren't having fun, and that's why we play the game. They didn't have a close game the rest of the World Series. And it was about watching kids that you get to play the game, enjoy it, have fun. And that's in the biggest stage. That's the greatest baseball coach of all time for him to take his team to go watch a bunch of 10 and 11 year olds play. Um, that was pretty moving to me and it, it put things in perspective to me. That is such a cool Augie. There are a million cool Augurito stories, but that might be the, the most unique one and probably the most PG one I've ever heard. But, uh, very, very cool yeah. stuff. <laughs> He would be mad. Oh, boy, he'd come up to my office to practice today. And I know more about some of the Augie Greeno stuff than others just because, uh, you know, he would, he'd want to let out some stress. And, boy, he liked his red wine, too. But uh, <laughs> Augie was great. And, uh, that You know what? You, you really can't coach that way anymore. You know, it's it's interesting. You can watch those videos. And you really got to be careful. I don't care if it's college football, basketball, or baseball. Um, the way you communicate has got to be a little differently nowadays than, than it used to be. Um, you know, as uh, Augie would have been if he was still here, would have been the first one to tell you that. Augie was uh, just a great one. If you, and again, if you're kind of a, if you're a young player listening to this, or even a young coach, and you're not sure who Augie Garrido is, you should you should look him up and just and listen to some of the talks that he's had with his teams over the years that you can still find on YouTube. Just a, a really amazing, amazing coach that I wish wish I had a chance to meet at some point, and I'm, I'm jealous that you did. And we could probably do a whole another whole different podcast just on some your experiences with Augie, which I'm sure would be really beneficial for a lot of people. Um, I'm sure that had a great impact on you, Coach Dom, as a young coach. Through the years, as you've grown, gotten older, you've you've been around people like Augie Garrido to just to sort of shape you and whatnot. If you could go back and talk to yourself as a, when you were an assistant coach at Creighton or even as a, as when you first got to be the head coach at Creighton with what you know today, what would be some things that you would say to yourself or maybe guide yourself in a different direction uh, than you were going at the time or just, just anything you might want to say to yourself as a young guy with all the experience you have now under your belt? 
tell you what, I was very fortunate at a young age to get that job. And, and number one thing I had to do is, number one, I had to make sure that I realized I deserved it because all the things I did as a player and as an assistant coach for Jim Hendry um, and also Todd Wimberg, who was there for a couple of years. Uh, you know, I think sometimes people were like, oh, he didn't deserve it. Well, I did what I was supposed to do in order to get it. But at the same time, I will tell you this, I don't think I was quite ready for that position as far as managing actually some of the kids who I, I played with. Uh, you know, so I just wish I would have been a little more organized, um, a little in my practice plans, um, you know, understand the team building. Jim Henry was just, uh, Jim Henry had a gift. There's certain guys that can get people to respond to him. And I'm not Jim Hendry. I couldn't, I tried to be Jim Hendry. I'm not. I had to be myself. And, um, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing. I wish I would have been myself. Here's the other one. I talked about the, the board of directors earlier. Um, I was a tremendous assistant coach. Jim Hendry would go, hey, say, go talk to this guy. He's not going to play. Explain it. Or he's struggling. See what's going on. So I, I had a, a great skill that I got from my mom. My mom passed away, unfortunately, but she's on my board of directors because she had a listening skill that was absolutely incredible. I, I might be out partying when I was back in college. I'd come home at three in the morning. My mom would be on the phone because she was part of a, a group for, for people that had drug and alcohol abuse or uh, were getting abused where they could call. So I'd walk in at two, three in the morning. I look at my mom, who are you talking to? She said, I don't know. Um, and she had the most incredible listening skill. When I became a head coach at Creighton, I felt like I had to have the answers for my players. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing for coaches all of a sudden. To become a head coach, you think you got to have the answers. Still to this day, as, as a parent, uh, as an assistant coach or a head coach, the most important skill you can have is listen. A lot of times if, if kids just come in and talk, they'll figure it out themselves. You don't have to have the answer. Be supportive of them, but give them the time. Give them your ear. And uh, that's one of the most important skills. And I lost that when I became a head coach early on in my career. And um, so that would be my biggest thing I would tell myself. I love that. And I think that that can probably be applied to most people in most life situations. I don't think you need to be a head baseball coach to hear that and for it to have an impact on you. So great stuff. Um, one last question I have for you, Coach, just to kind of wrap things up. Um What's next for Jack Dom? You've done a lot of things. I, I know that you just recently accepted a, a summer job. I think it was for the first time ever, but you know, you've been at the NAI level now for uh, for several years. What does the future look like for you um, as your kids are, are getting older and, and maybe things change in your life? What's next for you? You know what? what you you, you got to go back and um, you got to reevaluate when I got let go at uh at the University of Iowa. You know, I, I was a tremendous fundraiser at Creighton and and, and Iowa, Iowa, and I did some things in those programs. I'm very proud of where I left those programs. But when all of a sudden you're not coaching baseball and, and you go to try to find a job, you know, really, they just say you're a baseball coach. They don't say you're a fundraiser. They don't say that, you know, you're managing people and, and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of opened up my eyes a little bit. Um, so one of the things I'm doing right now, uh, first of all, I love it at this level. Um, I've been offered some athletic director jobs and this and that. I'm not too sure I want to go down that road. Um, you know, I love coaching here. My son's a freshman. I'll get a chance to coach him for the next three years. And I can see myself coaching here five, ten years. Um, 
something I always wanted to do. And the prospect league is is tremendous. And um, so I'm, I'm looking forward. Uh, you talk about helping people. Well, I feel bad for Clinton because they lost their minor league team. So I want to make sure that that transition goes very smoothly for them to the prospect league. And I'm looking forward to coaching there this summer. It's a it's 60 games in 70 days. Um, it, I, I'm looking forward to it. And you know, maybe at some point when I'm done coaching, maybe I can can run a summer organization. Or uh, my other job here is fundraising for the athletic department. So I'd like to to be in a foundation. But I learned I better have a, a plan B for when I get out of when I get out of coaching. But uh, bottom line is, I want I want to help kids in baseball uh, for for hopefully the next 10 years. Uh, as far as coaching goes, and um, you know, I'm fortunate that my wife has been very supportive. We've been through some ups, some downs. Uh, she stuck with me and loved her to death. And my kids are, are great kids. So uh, I'm going to coach for as long as I can. Summer league is going to be fun. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe we can do something else uh, in the summer as far as another another program at some point if uh, if I get the get the opportunity. This has been really, really enjoyable. This is Jack Dom, everybody, who's the head coach currently at Mount Mercy University and NAIA in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. This has uh, just personally been very enjoyable. There, you know, I think even podcasts that are that are really informative aren't aren't always something that I just I personally enjoy. But I've just I, I've enjoyed listening to you. Um, I always enjoy listening to coaches who have a lot of experience and been through a lot, and if you can see the sort of the evolution of the of the coach throughout the podcast. And uh, I think we've got a lot of that. There are some things we didn't touch on that that we definitely could have that uh, maybe that means we need to schedule a second round of this. But Coach Dom, I just want to personally thank you. I, I just a, a guy with your amount of experience and, and your insight, and someone who's just been through so much and has so much to offer. Uh, we're very very blessed to have you on a podcast like this. Well, Jeff, I, I appreciate it, and it's I love what you're doing. Um, I love what I'm doing, and, and I'm fortunate to be back in it and. and you know, being able to do some things. And I think sometimes we got to remember one thing as coaches, we do not have jobs if it's not for our student athletes, you know. And um, so I want to try to just keep giving back to them and then helping young coaches too. Uh, I've got some young coaches that I can't wait to, for them to move on. And, you know, my first assistant coach was Brian O'Connor, who's turned out pretty pretty good for himself at, at Virginia. And I've got a lot of a lot of coaches out there. And um, that's the fun part, helping, helping people, helping young kids. And that's what you're doing. With this and, and I appreciate it. I love to be on anytime you want.